Welcome to the Motorsports in Focus podcast. I'm your host, David Santiago, joined by my co-host and producer, Joe McKinney. Hope you enjoy. Alrighty, Joe, how are you? I'm just fine. How are you? Pretty good. It's been a while since we recorded a motorsport podcast. It has been, yeah. I feel like we've we've missed more events than we should have. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of events, actually. Because uh, was there not a period of time, not maybe two episodes ago, where we <laughs> we didn't have a race? Yes, actually. <laughs> and, and, then, and now we have, what, four that yeah, we need to catch up on? And they all happen on the same weekend, it seems, or in the yeah. same span of time. Yeah, well, that's motorsport. It's the motorsports gods not yeah. being too keen on us. Yeah, exactly. But uh, not going to focus too much on the past races. Um, it's not really meant to be like a news thing. Uh, it's just more just some friends talking about uh, the latest stuff. So we'll get right into Formula One in Miami. Yeah. Um. And we're moving on. <laughs> I was trying to think of the first thing to say. Because I was like, well, I was going to say, and Verstappen won, but everybody assumed that would happen. Uh, he did win from ninth, which is an accomplishment. He did he he put together a good race. He really, because he ran, it was what, a 57-lap race, and he ran 46 of which on the hards from ninth. Yeah, and that's then made true. a change on the mediums at the end. So he he legitimately won the race. Yeah, and he did make some good moves along the way. He did, he did, and it like the the other thing too is like he kind of got screwed in the qualifying as well because of the red flag. Yeah. So only a handful of people were able to actually put in proper qualifying laps. Um, but yeah, I I mean I think he put together a pretty solid race overall. Though it was an incredibly boring track. So I did not watch last year. And uh, we were actually talking before the podcast, and I I thought for sure this was the first year of Miami. That's <laughs> that's how um, out of it I was last year. I guess is it is an easy way to put yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I was the same way. And the only reason I knew that last year was the first year is because I knew people who went there, and so I was kind of excited to see it this year. Um, but I have to say, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Saudi race with that street circuit. Yeah, and. You know, we just had the Baku race, that other street circuit. Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm kind of over the whole street circuit thing, which I know... Welcome to my club. <laughs> which contradicts... I don't even have a password for this club. Yeah. <laughs> it's very <laughs> inclusive. An, op- an open door policy? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I know I said before I like street circuits, but Formula One street circuits, I don't like. I like, um, like something like Monaco. I like Long Beach... But these tracks okay, are not really street circuits. Do you like do you like Monaco? Yeah. Or do you like Monaco the event? Both. You think it's actually a good track? Yes. I don't I don't think it's a good track for TV, but I think it's a good track overall. So technically for the drivers. Like not I'm not saying technically in the loose term, I mean actually technically challenging. For the drivers, you think it's a good track? Yeah, I think so. And I think that because the walls are right there, and it's just K-Rail. So, like, yeah, passing is not really a thing. But I'm okay with Monaco being a full-on street circuit and having some personality on the F1 calendar. But what I think is why I say I don't like these, uh, like, Miami and the Saudi races is because basically they're full-on road courses with some barriers like a rat that are closer than would be normally but it's not really a street so circuit miami to me is exactly the same as melbourne 
Yes, I would agree with that. Like, I do like identical. Melbourne, but... well, which is why it surprises me a little bit that yeah. you're not too keen on Miami, because it it is not literally in the layout, but when you're watching the race, you could you could watch Melbourne and have the exact same emotions while you're watching Miami, whether that's immense. Like, I like this. This is great. This is awesome. Or you could go the other spectrum and be like, yeah, this is this is still crap. Like, this is not a good race to watch. I don't enjoy this. This isn't fun. I don't want to see this. And, and I, I fall more towards that one. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think for me, it's it's literally the aesthetics of the track. I think... They did go with the teal runoffs, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, but it's like every corner looks the same. It does. I literally can't... Like, when they if they just cut to a shot, I can't actually tell what corner they're in by mm-hmm. looking at it. So it, something that popped into my head as you're saying, it, like we're talking about these street circuits, right? <clears throat> Is there any shot in hell that Monaco gets developed today if it doesn't exist now? Like if, if it didn't exist before, is there any way you see that track? Somebody sits back and goes, yeah, let, we're doing that. No chance. Absolutely no chance whatsoever. Now, is there... Somebody in the world crazy enough to shut down a very small sequence of roads similar enough to Monaco to do the same thing that would get away with it. No, because I think Monaco not, not is for its, Formula One. Because I think Monaco is its own special kind of thing, right? Like yeah. in in multiple senses, it's 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 special in that it's a unique historic track, right? We get that. It's special also that it's really small, but somehow high speed, but also somehow incredibly low speed, like shockingly low speed. It, it kind of covers all the bases in a, in a weird way where I could see somebody wanting to do the same thing in Eastern Europe or something like you, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I could totally see some, some country deciding like Latvia goes, we want to have a Grand Prix, right? And they've got some small village in comparison to the rest of Europe, but is one of their larger villages, one of their larger cities that goes, we can do something similar to this. I think that's what you tend to see every single time Formula One talks about going somewhere. Is it's always a street circuit? You no, know, not not to interrupt your point, but yeah, I, that's sort of what Baku is in a way. Yeah, I was about to say actually, if you shortened Baku, it's kind of that way. It's kind of Monaco. Yeah. they just use the city. Mm-hmm. Whereas it with Australia, so Melbourne with um, Miami, even Canada to some extent, it it feels like a track attached to a street rather than a track on a street yeah I, but does that make sense i don't know if i'm no it, it does okay. i i understand what you're saying i think you couldn't do it today because of the safety stuff mm-hmm. and honestly i don't know understand how monaco's on the calendar now given that excuse me formula one is usually uh really strict about their safety stuff so well, remember how long it took imola to get back up to standards mm-hmm. yeah exactly they have like this whole thing it's why you know sebring could never be on the calendar or something they would have to completely change all the barriers do a bunch of stuff that and tarmac yeah exactly um but yeah i I don't think you could do it somewhere else unless you know you'd have to do all that barrier stuff and it would end up being like baku which again is this like weird sort of i guess baku's like a proper street circuit at least it, but it do, it is yeah and it does make me wonder though like what what is it about both baku and and monaco that they can 
I'm not sure get away with is the right phrase, but I think you, you understand what I'm trying to say, that they can get away with the safety standards that they've set forth. Because you, you look at tracks like Miami or, or Melbourne or Canada, right, that, that have these large runoffs and then concrete barriers, and you think, oh, this is what the FIA wants for safety, right? So how does the FIA look at Monaco and go, no, that's fine. So what is Monaco doing that Canada or Melbourne or Miami can't do to try and narrow up the whole track and make it a more difficult track? You know, like, wh- what is this separation that I'm seeing? Because it looks like Miami, Melbourne, and, and Canada are held to one standard, and Monaco and Baku are held to another. I don't know if that's the case, but you, you understand I, what I'm saying. I do, and I don't think I can answer that question, but it would not surprise me. But if- I want answers. <laughs> <laughs> it would not surprise me at all if Monaco had some special uh, grandfathered in regulation. I, I mean, I'm sure they're limited oh, I, to some degree. I, with the that wouldn't shock city. me at all. But the problem is that Baku looks like the same thing. Yeah, that's true. I don't know, man. I Maybe Baku's not. Maybe it's got... I mean, Baku definitely has more runoff and stuff. I think the thing that surprises me about Monaco is that there's basically no runoff anywhere and what you see and what makes me think like you know how can you have a circuit like monaco on the calendar uh is because when you look at like miami the street circuits like there's runoff everywhere and it's it's tight in some areas but i don't know i think there's there's, there really is runoff everywhere on every single street circuit with the exception of monaco yeah like the only runoff on the entirety of monaco chicane and it yeah the chicane following the tunnel yeah and then I guess there's some exits or uh, sort of outs uh, on some of the straights, but there's some places you can put your car that's not in the way, but you're you're still getting a full course caution typically. Yeah, and uh, whereas Miami, I feel like there's there was a lot more runoff, and there was the same thing. But you with, see it, you see it across series is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, because like, even Long Beach, there's plenty of runoff, and that's a really narrow track. Or Detroit, in, uh, in some spots, but there, it's not like. The actual racing line. You know, the actual racing line is tight. Yeah. And for some reason, F1 likes to do these really, really wide That's true. circuits. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. I, I, we, I think we talked about this before, too, where F1 is like, oh, well, if you have a really wide track, then people will pass each other easier. And it's like, okay, that's probably true it- to an extent. Yeah. But at a certain point, it gets so wide that it just looks empty. No, well, I think there's a very big misalignment um with what's considered wide as far as the track is and then what's considered wide as far as the racing line is considered so the the racing line that like that's the beauty of sebring right you yeah. have very wide racing lines it's true you might have a relatively narrow track which sebring is it's not a very wide track overall like sure you the the front straight's pretty wide 17's pretty wide you know you got areas across the track that are pretty wide but overall it's a pretty narrow track but there's a very wide racing line it just depends on what you're kind of running on a lot of these modern street circuits that you see or even classic street circuits that you that that we've grown accustomed to is the line itself is still narrow no matter how wide they make the track because they make it wide in the in the areas that aren't correct necessarily to try and create the pre- the passing right like these chicanes 100% go down to okay I can cut it this way there's no way to pass in a chicane there's no way to go too wide in a chicane quickly fine that's sort of what a chicane's for but you see that you kind of see that at Sebring like you we've watched cars go too wide in the hairpin 
at Sebring. There's not a much more narrow corner than that. You would you, you would never see that in Formula One because the racing line is always so narrow that you can't force anybody into a position but to get that, aggressive. Does it's that like, say more about the cars in Formula One or the tracks? I, I would say... Because so I, I think that's also true I, in IndyCar. I, I know what you're saying, yes, and it and it is more true in IndyCar. I know what you're saying, but the thing is, is and and maybe maybe you can use this against me. I don't know. I'm tr- I'm trying to formulate my opinion as I'm as I'm speaking it aloud. With something like IMSA or WEC, we we see them on these same circuits, right? And they somehow make corners that are one car wide on Formula One, multi car wide. You know, it might be two, might be two and a half, might be one and a half, but it's more than one, clearly. Yeah. And they do it over and over and over again at, at various circuits throughout the world. So I I think it is sort of, it, it's sort of an indictment on the car, but it's also sort of an indictment. Like, yes, Marina is very, very wide. There is a shit load of runoff throughout that that course. But at the end of the day, there's only one line that all these drivers are running because it's quick chicane, quick chicane, quick chicane. I don't care what you put out there. You still get stuck with one line. Like you could be running cup cars from like 911 cup cars. I feel like you, you're still not going through the most of those corners too wide. I, I think it's down to the cars mostly. And I say that because uh, with like two GTP cars going through a corner, if they do make contact, it's like not a big deal at all. That's true. The sides yes. of those cars are flat. There's nothing really to catch yes. on, unless unless a splitter like grabs the rear bumper, like we saw at Long Beach, where the Porsche lost part of its bumper. That's the first time I've really seen that. Um, it's it's far less common. Yeah, I mean, closed wheel racing is is it's very different. Yeah, if two Formula One cars uh, go through a tight corner, all it takes is the two tire two tires touching. You've got. A problem. Yeah, of course. Somebody's gonna possibly end up in the air, or their cars are at least gonna get upset, spun. Um, whereas, you know, cars where they're not open wheel, they can just sort of bump and rub, and it's not catastrophic. I will say that is driver dependent too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think that's a very important thing to mention because what we saw at Miami was a lot of respect, but also good racing between uh, Verstappen and Perez for that about lap and a half, two laps that they were battling for that first position, and. If it was Verstappen and Lewis, I don't think you see that same respect, then I think there's an incident immediately. So it, it does also depend on the drivers. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I don't know, but I'd say it's primarily would, the uh, the cars and the fact that they're open wheel. Is it? Is it? I, I feel like it's almost equally as important on the drivers as it is on the type of vehicle type of vehicle that it is. So you have Verstappen and Lewis, right? They're going to they're going to create an accident or Lewis and Nico created <laughs> many accidents over the years, yeah. right? Lewis being the, the kind of anyway. Um <laughs> my point is you have in in open wheel racing, you have two drivers that can create a problem very quickly, but in closed wheel racing, even if the two drivers like no one likes Jan Magnussen in racing. That's something we've learned over the years. Like, right, at most, sure, he's, he may be a great teammate, but no one wants to race against him because he's super aggressive, right? Constantly bangs into people. Yet, 
it's not a common occurrence that we hear that Yan Magnuson and Blank also are out of the race. So it is an indictment on the car, but I feel like it's also a major indictment on the driver in the sense that, or drivers involved in the sense that, like, you guys need to take responsibility for what you're doing in the cars that you're in. You can you can drive a specific way in one car. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's the right way to drive in this car. And that creates some problems for the sport as a whole. Like, Well, I'll say this. In Formula One, when you're watching, mm-hmm. I feel like you know when there's about to be an accident. Like it's yeah, more it, so, it does become pretty obvious. Yeah, more yeah. so than in other series. Yes, um, where like you know, because it's it's like almost as soon as these cars make contact, you're like up, oh, somebody's spun. In in or, something like endurance racing too, though, is it, you know, if if an accident's about to occur in GT three, you probably aren't seeing the first the the primary three, four, five corners that were developing that accident. Yeah, yeah, but still, I think. I just feel like I've watched it so many times in Formula One where you're just like, mm. you know, we got these conditions yep. on this lap, this person trying to do this, you're like, they're going to come together. Uh-huh. And sure enough, I feel like it happens more times than oh, not. Oh, no, I agree. I agree. And and that's the thing is, it, it like I said, it's it's very driver dependent. And all of a sudden you end up in a, in a circumstance. So that was my overall point was that like open wheel racing, you can do side by side racing with the right drivers right like you can have people battling back and forth very very effectively you see an indycar too it's not just a formula one exclusive thing yeah but i I, I would argue still though in indycar you see a lot of incidents because of it like it where something in a gt car or a prototype would have just been a bump you know rubbin's racing kind of deal or in IndyCar, it's like, up, oh, somebody's around. The, oh, the cars you, are just so much more sensitive. One hundred percent. You you have far less leeway to make a mistake. I'm not yeah. not disagreeing there at all. Yeah. Um. I I just I I think that it's more indicative of the two individuals involved or three individuals involved in the accident than it is the actual series of the vehicle. That's that's kind of the way I see it because I, I I think like. Listen, are you going to have an a- an accident if you have Scott Dixon and Fernando Alonso driving next to each other? Probably not. Not likely. Yeah. Those are like the two most just from each one from each series of we will give anybody and everybody a bunch of space and not make a mistake. Yeah. And still be fast. Like but you have other drivers that are very keen on I need to get as aggressive as possible. I need to poke my nose in uh paddle ward and <laughs> and make sure that I move someone into a wall in order to take that position. I don't care if it's open. Like some of these moves also cross the type of platform. Whereas if paddle award had made the move that we talked about a couple of weeks ago at long beach, if he had made that in a closed wheel vehicle, the same that, yeah, result. That, that's true. Yeah. That the result would have not have changed there. That would have still shoved what well, subbed Dixon right into the wall. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, that's actually something important that I feel like the judges should probably take into account. That's true. Yeah. Because, you know, you should sit back and go, all right, well, this this was a racing incident. It's like, yes, to some extent, but like if this the, if if the result is the cars, same, and yeah, yeah. And, and like he hit him hard enough to move him into the wall in that. Yeah, that was that was a proper hip yeah. check. Yeah, yeah, that that's interesting actually. I mean, I, I I would say it's a little bit of both of those ideas then, and but I think you still have the problem. Our our main issue with this whole thing though. Is that the Miami track was crap? Eh, 
you know? It's crap. Yeah. It's, and, you know, I we're going to have Las Vegas this year, which is going to be so strange. They're literally going to be driving down the strip and racing down the strip. I, yeah. And I just... I don't I don't know. I don't understand the obsession with Formula 1 and street circuits right now. I really think they could do better, but Well, I I think the big thing especially for the United States is like but if let, me you're free, a, let me rephrase real quick cuz I know I am pro street circuit when it's a proper street circuit, but I am not pro Formula 1. What is Okay. Faux street circuit. So what is really quickly? What is the best street circuit as far as you're concerned across any series? So that way, people can kind of create a a bubble for you. Like, all I, right, I like is... I like Long Beach. I would say it's Long Beach. That's the best street circuit. Yeah, as like a full on street. That's I'm not, nuts. I'm, I'm not, sorry. That's... I'm not counting. Uh, uh, what's it? Uh, Montreal or Australia? I don't think that's really a street circuit. I'm talking like full on walls or K rail street circuit, okay. like Baku. Okay. So, I think it's Long Beach. I, I think Baku is a better street circuit than. In Long Beach, I could see that being the case, but I just really like Long Beach. I okay. love that track. I don't know. I'm not. The, it's just what I think. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. What would be yours if you had to pick one? Would it be Baku? I, I mean, immediately coming to mind, um, maybe. I'd I'd have to look at them again to be to be fully yeah. honest with you because, yeah. you know, there's. I, I think of the what is considered a traditional street circuit. So things every calendar year we look at and we go, oh, that's a street circuit. Montreal is the best. Canada is, I think, the best yeah, circuit. Yeah. But if if we're discounting that and saying, look, it's stuck on an island, that I feel you can't call Belle Isle a street circuit either, because that's the exact same thing, but Michigan's version of it. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't work. Um, Although I think that Belle Isle is pretty tight, isn't it? Oh, it's super tight. Yeah. yeah, super tight and super bumpy. It's like they they use the testing um, metrics that they get from Sebring at Belle Isle because oh, wow. <laughs> because it's that bumpy. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. no, it's all over the place. That, that track is a nightmare. They hate it. Like all the drivers <laughs> hate it. They they love it because it's a fun track. But yeah, um, so it, like I can't. I I would say Belle Isle because it's ridiculous. But I'm not sure. If we're gonna remove Canada from it, then I feel like we have to do that as well. So, I yeah, Baku, I guess I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's like I I'm so just vehemently against street circuits. I I just it drives me nuts. Like I, I get the allure to it, but the thing is, like what what I think that Formula One is trying to pursue right now with their street circuit, like this push in street circuits. The reason they're sitting back and going, all right, well let's do a street circuit in Miami, okay. What was rumored? It sounds like, good in theory. What was rumored like twenty years ago, right? Yeah. Street circuit in New York. That's true. What was what is now the case? Street circuit in Vegas. Yeah. Guess what? All these are iconic American cities. Yeah, that's what matters. That more. don't have racetracks in them, right? Like you're not going to Homestead with that. Not F1. in the city, no. Well, okay. Where in New York? Close enough that you could claim New York City. Are you going to race? Oh, it? nowhere that it'd be New York City. But okay, in the states, you know, in the yeah. area. Oh, there are plenty in the U.S. Yeah, there's yeah. plenty of great circuits in the U.S. I'm not arguing that. I I have said it before. Like, why don't they go the to the United Laguna? States? Is I got something on that. <laughs> when we get, remind me when we get to Laguna okay. for right. IMSA. Right. I got I I got some opinions on that. Okay. Um. 
But the thing is, like, the most iconic track next to a very large city that F1 might have a chance going to would be Road Atlanta. It's not really near Atlanta. It's it's not. It's but, like, like, you don't go to Road Atlanta and think, oh, yes, Atlanta. No, I, I understand. <laughs> but, like, what else could, like, VIR is another track that theoretically F1 could go to. Richmond is not a big enough city to get away. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, this. It, I would love to see F one at Barber. Oh, of course. There's so many tracks across the United States that yeah. I would love to see F one at. But my point is, there's not none of these tracks are close enough to a big city. Like you can't claim Sebring's in Tampa. Also, because every racing fan knows what the hell Sebring is. So. Yeah. You're, you're just running out of these big cities, but what is F1 trying to do? They're trying to pull people in, trying to pull people. So we say the, the F1 Grand Prix at Miami, and they're like, whoa, Miami, right? It, it's the marketing. It's, uh, yeah. it's not right. It's not, the, it's not the way it should be done. But it's the way that they're trying to pull in as large of an audience as possible. And look, they get paid a heck of a lot more money than I do to do their marketing. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it makes sense from a marketing standpoint that you'd have the Miami Grand Prix and not the, you know, I don't think they'd ever go to Homestead, but, you know, it's not the Homestead right. Grand Prix. Well, and look at where the United States Grand Prix is, right? Yeah, Texas. Texas. Yeah. Exactly. Not, it's not Dallas. It's not Houston. It's not Austin. It's Texas. And it's the United States Grand Prix. Like, they're really shoving that down your throat. <sighs> yeah. I, it, it makes sense. That's a great track, though. It is. Coda's great. It makes sense, but I just think that they're kind of missing the point. But I think, I don't know. I'm going to stop talking about it because I don't like these new street circuits. I don't like the Miami track, but whatever. So I, I, I agree. Before we move on, I got a, I got a quick question for you. Yeah. So there's three U.S. Grand Prix, right? Yes. I imagine Coda's one of the three you would keep no matter what. Yeah. What other two tracks would you replace Miami and Vegas with? Assuming Vegas doesn't end up being anything special. That's a really good question. I think for sure Barber. For F1, Barber. Yes. I think that'd be a good track for those cars. Okay. Um, There's a lot of... I mean, even with the Indy cars, you know, it's considered to be like a really high G-load track. Mm-hmm. And so I think Formula One cars there would just be awesome mm-hmm. to watch. Uh, and I think it would lead to good racing. And then there's part of me wants to say Indy. But I know that they've done Indy before. And we'll end up talking about Indy. But I don't really like the Indy infield as a, something to watch. Um, I don't know. There's just To me, Indy is the 500. And the infield sort of it's sort of like the Daytona infield. It's like, okay, you know, it's it's fine, but it's not like, yeah, it really lo- I don't want to see uh Formula One cars at Daytona, you know? Yeah. And so I don't know, man. I think I'd like to see him at Long Beach again. <laughs> I think it'd be really cool. Okay. Cause they used to race at Long yeah. Beach. Yeah. It's it's interesting that okay. So you you didn't pick either of the ones that I would have picked. Okay, Watkins Glen immediately pops in head. You got That's a good one. You yeah. have to dump that, them on Watkins Glen. That is a good one. It's it's way too iconic of a track. It's like it's been raced forever with every series that has existed. Yeah, it is 
is lime maybe lime rocks bigger? It's like more iconic, I guess. Lime rock, in, in lime rock is way so, too small. For no, no, I understand. I'm just yeah. saying, like iconic United States track, like mm-hmm. Lime Rock, Sebring, Daytona, Indy, Watkins. Like we're we're you know you you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I think it'd be Watkins Glen. You you've got to put it up there. I mean, Road Atlanta's up there too. Ooh, Road Atlanta'd be a good one. Road Atlanta would be great. Hmm. Man, that actually would be really cool. Yeah, the so my my second option be only because I don't think the corkscrew is an option for these cars. <laughs> I don't think they can go on Laguna Seca. Would be Road America. I think Road America would be a fantastic track to watch these cars go on. Yeah, it it would be like that carousel alone. Can you imagine the carousel onto that straight and then down to the hairpin? the speed that they would be picking up throughout that carousel. Because mm-hmm. you know they'd be flat on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it would be insane, man. Yeah. We have and there's of- nothing like that. I mean, there's not like, on the calendar for the for the F1, like, Germany's really the only climate that's going to provide that same sort of track ambiance and the, and the shape and whatnot. There's nothing on the F1 calendar that looks anything like Road America. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to change my second answer from Long Beach to Road Atlanta. I want to see. I like that. I like that better. So you're at Road Atlanta, and what now? What was the other one? Barber. You said Barber. I I love Barber. I think Barber would be fantastic. I just I feel like they would tear it to pieces in the best <laughs> way possible. Like they would just fly around it, where it would be almost not watchable. Yeah. Like it, it's, you know how NASCAR goes around Bristol. And you're just like, oh my god, that was, oh my god, that was another, oh Jesus Christ, that was a third lap. <laughs> like it, it just, it would kind of feel like that. You'd have like an 87 lap race, fair around Barber. But man, Road Atlanta, Road Atlanta would be fantastic. Then again, they'd probably do an 87 lap race. <laughs> <laughs> but Road Atlanta would be a blast, especially if you could find a way to incorporate the keyhole. You know, instead of instead of necessarily going straight up the hill after the chicane, you you take a right around the keyhole and then go into the then go up the hill. Mm. You know, something like that just to create one more turn for them. Yeah, could be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's just a great track too. I, mean, it is I can't imagine F one cars coming through that final turn because you're oh, coming downhill so fast, flat out. They'd be flying. They'd be there. so fast, or or post S's that that like yeah, just bottom out and then haul. Yeah, straight up. I mean, it that is that might be, with the exception of a track that we're going to talk about later, that might be the best landscaped track on the face of the earth, as far as like the actual undulations making use of the terrain that's there. It's pretty amazing. The, the contouring that's like that's that is one thing that a lot of the older United States tracks do better than just about anybody outside of what spa. Like really using the earth that's there and then just slapping a a ribbon of tarmac and calling it a day. It's amazing that Sebring can have so much character with such a flat track. Yeah. And also kind of, you know, why streets are... Is it amazing, though? I mean, Florida's flat, and they like the state has a lot of character, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But uh, anyway, let's move on from uh, street circuits. I think... uh, most people have a pretty good idea that we did not enjoy the Miami Grand Prix too much. It, it wasn't good. Yeah. I don't know. It was there were some good moments. Uh like a couple of the moves that Max made. Uh there were some good battles with K Mag actually. Yeah. He's looked on on like he he's been on this whole year. Like he's just kind of been really putting everything together. He's looked 
he hasn't looked like Alonzo, but he's performed like Alonzo. If you if you understand what I'm saying, so like it with the car that he's got and the talent level that he's got, he's performed equally as well as Alonzo has done in exactly the same sort of setup, right? Like if his par is this, then he's performed this much better than his par. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he had a great race, um, this time around battling, uh, I think it was Leclerc most What's of the time. What, two straight races though, isn't it? Within the top 10. I mean, he's been, he's been actually quite good. Yeah. He's, he's made the move to retain him over Grosjean look very good. Yeah. And then uh, we had Fernando on the podium again. Again. Which was nice yes. to see. <laughs> I feel like... I love it so much, man. It's pretty much going to be the whole season. It's going to be either uh, Checo or Verstappen for the win. And then Alonso is just like hanging out. I'm telling you, man. If the, <laughs> if if he ends up getting a win this year, the, the very first noise of said podcast will just be straight mic pinging. <laughs> just... <laughs> I'm going to call it. I think once we get past halfway... And depending on how close the gap is between Verstappen and uh, Perez, I think we're going to see a coming together of those two at some point, and then Alonso is going to cruise home for the win. Mm. I like it. It's a good prediction, but I think more likely than not, it's going to be at a track that is a traditional Red Bull type of track, very aero-dominant, and Alonso's just going to become the wheelman that he's always been. And steal a race out from underneath the two of them because of some strategy, maybe you a know, mistake or a caution or something like that. But yeah, what's going to be really interesting to watch this year is Monaco coming up because the Red Bulls seem to be so dominant uh, on the straights. Shockingly good top line speed. Yeah, like, like like when you see overlays, it's like they're pretty much getting all their performance on the straight. And so I wonder at Monaco where it's like it just doesn't matter down the straight. I wonder if you'll see, because it's funny, because traditionally, like, the Red Bulls are the ones that do well in Monaco, because mm-hmm. they don't have the straight line speed, but they right. have the arrow yeah. to get around, and so now it's going to be the other way around, and I wonder if you'll see somebody like Fernando. They still have the arrow. Come on. It, like, Adrian oh, Newey I... is still involved. <laughs> like, I, I know what you're saying, but, like, they're going to... It's I, definitely going to even the playing field. It will, it will help level it out, but it's not going to level it out to the point where if there's not a mistake that occurs or some fluky circumstance or somebody drives completely outside of their ability that the the Red Bulls are still going to find a way to win. I, I, I like the optimism, but yeah, it, they the, this is the first time in a long time that we felt like this is actually just a properly dominant car in every facet of the... It reminds me of when the Mercedes were properly dominant. Like, there was just no question of who was going to win. It was going to be one of the Mercs. Yeah, and it was... and. It was Williams in third, you know, Botas yeah. regularly yep. ending up in third. Yeah. 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 So we'll see for the rest of the season. But I, that's my prediction is that the Red Bulls are going to come together. And then when that happens, so Fernando. Does Alonso get a win this year? Yes. Absolutely. I'm going to go nuts. Man. Re- yeah. I. It's going to be great. It's going to be great for all Formula One fans. I, I think it will be. I think it's one of those things where, like, even the people that aren't Alonzo fans are going to be like, man, this guy just loves this sport so much. I'm so proud of him. Like, <laughs> well, he's just stuck it out for so long, making getting unlucky with whatever team he joins. You know, he joins Ferrari, and you're like, yeah, Alonzo back at Ferrari. This yeah. is the right move. Turns out, no, it wasn't the right move. Then he joins McLaren. You're like, okay, yeah, McLaren. You know, and you're just and like, he, oh, man. <laughs> and he regularly outperforms the vehicle. Wherever he goes, he yeah. just does this nutty thing, and you're like, I... 
how does that have that much performance? Yeah, I, I still remember when he uh, came over for the for Daytona, and he ran with uh, Konica Minolta guys. Yeah, and even then, uh, even uh, I think it was Ricky Taylor, and he was like, "Oh yeah, turns out this Alonso guy is pretty good." Yeah, <laughs> he, he went from like it was like fourth or third to first place uh, in his like first stint. And he's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Th- there's something here." <laughs> well, it's the old story of him when the first time he entered Indy. He gave wh- what team was he racing? I know it was. Oh the yeah, McLaren, he did good at but, Indy too. Yeah, it was yeah, McLaren. But who was the owner? Because it wasn't right now. It's Penske. Um, I think it was McLaren. Well, yeah, it was a McLaren car, but there's still there's always owners in Indy. Yeah, but I don't think the McLarens, at least now, I don't think they're running under Penske or like Andretti or anything no, they're like running that. they're running under somebody. It's um, I can't remember. Anyway, my it doesn't matter to the point. The point is that like it was a long time owner in in Indy, and they go do their all all their testing and stuff like that. And the drivers, regardless of what class of series <coughs> you're racing in, the drivers will give the engineers some sort of notes, right? And Alonso all of a sudden gave them a three ring binder filled with notes, and, <laughs> and they're like, "What the hell is this? What's my race notes? This is what what I've what I've got going around the track?" And apparently, it was the exact same thing when he went into to WEC. To compete in WEC, he gave a huge binder of of notes that nobody had ever seen anything like this. They were like, "This is this is meticulous. Like, what are you doing with all these notes? There's no way you can actually be driving quickly and also gathering this much information." But it's it's just a testament to who he is as a driver to become that meticulous with what he's doing in his observations while also still being absurdly fast. You know, I think that's been true of all the great drivers because you'll hear stories like that about uh, Senna, you mm-hmm. know, from people where, oh, some drivers, after they were done with the day, they would just go do whatever, and then Senna would stay after and, you know, talk to the engineers, talk about the car, do whatever. And you hear the same thing about, I can't remember who said it. We uh, heard about it, Seb, too. I mean, yeah, Seb same thing with Seb. Yeah. And then somebody just said the same thing about uh, Hamilton. Oh, it was Botas. Somebody asked Botas this year, he was like, who do you think the best on the grid is? And he still said Hamilton. And he was like, Hamilton is just the best driver he's ever worked with. I don't want to misquote him. You can go look for the quote. Uh, I don't know what he said exactly. But basically, he was like, he's always the last one to leave. He's like always working with the engineers and doing all this stuff and just staying late and working extremely hard on and off the track. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same thing you just said about Fernando and Seb. And it's like, okay, you know, there's something there. And it's that last half a percent when you're at that level. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, it's it's awesome. I, I think he's going to win this year, though. Oh, man. I, I hope you're <laughs> right. Because I'm just dying for it. Yeah. I'm just dying for it. I've been too long of a fan of his. So let's uh, move over to Monterey now with IMSA. Okay. Um, and before we forget, what were you going to say about Formula One in Monterey? So it wasn't necessarily pertaining to Formula One, but oh, okay. uh, Laguna Seca in particular is the single most underrated track in the <laughs> history of mankind. It is an awesome track. It's insane, man. Yeah. Like you just, the very, like I, I started watching it. And I'm like, okay, the very first corner, right? They all, all the prototypes come down, huge lockup, massive downhill into a braking section, still breaking downhill and turning pretty much 90 degrees, mm-hmm. and then another quick 90, and then all of a sudden you're disappearing back up into the desert, and you're like, what, 
what the hell is going on here <laughs> the whole time? I like every corner on this track. I, I know I've played it a thousand times in video games. I understand. Like I know every corner of the track. That doesn't still mean that I'm not shocked every time I watch actual cars go around and go, what the shit is this? What <laughs> like what is happening, man? This yeah. Is... Laguna is an awesome track. It's so good. And the corkscrew is wild, especially to see stuff like the GTPs just slamming it through there. Yes. And that was one of the points that I wanted to make, too, is like somehow Laguna Seca is underrated. Because the corkscrew, and this is not to diminish the corkscrew, but because the corkscrew is overrated. It's an amazing corner. I think it's probably the best corner outside of Eruge, maybe. Like, what else is better than it? I wouldn't say it's the best. It's interesting. It's a great corner. <laughs> like, it is such a good corner complex because there's just there's no room for, for there, there's no margin for error. You cannot make a mistake there. Yeah, and you're going into that corner blind up the hill. Yes, and then you're coming out of it into a corner. You need to gather as much speed as you possibly can, or you're screwed. And I'm sure the visibility in those cars when you're up at the top of that hill is and nothing. you start to make your turn, you're just like, okay, I think it's about here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it. It is a unbelievably cor- good corner, but because it's such a good corner. That's all everybody focuses on on the track. Yeah, and, and the rest of the track's awesome. It is so good. It's not even the best corner on that track. Like, that's that's what's crazy about that. Like, that track is so well designed, so well laid out. It makes such good use of the land. I don't know what it's like to walk on. If it's a nightmare to get around, I know you've been on it. Yeah, but as, as someone who lives in Florida, the, the thing that always I think of about Laguna Seca. Elevation? Yeah, hills. <laughs> Yeah. I forget about hills. Yeah. And then you walk up them and you're like, wow, these yeah, suck. But you grew up up north. You're at least familiar enough with hills. Yeah. You but just like, forget they exist yeah, because I'm you so live down here. I'm so used to walking on just flat <laughs> ground here that all of a sudden I look at the hill and I go, I, I remember when I was there, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a hill. Okay, whatever. I know what a hill is. I hadn't walked up a hill like that in yeah. probably years. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm walking up and I'm like, <sighs> <laughs> just like gas, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah. This but is it, different, it, it, dude. It's it's just such a well laid out track, yeah. And, and the corkscrew every- is is like what you hear about people saying, like it's way steeper than you see on TV. It really is. Yes, it's legit. Yeah, I've I, I like I've heard it from enough people to go, okay, I believe you now. Yeah, but yeah, it's an awesome track, and I it's you, interesting because so you, you said you've seen it in person. Do you think an F1 car could actually get around it? Or no? I've seen F1 cars go through there. The, okay. They had a master's class of like. So then, why the hell do we not have a an F one race there? There's no reason. Probably again, it's probably because of the safety standards that F one has. They would have to redo all sorts of stuff. So should I get on an F one FIA rant again? <laughs> Let's not go there. Okay. <laughs> also, another thing I want to complain about real quick, just really FIA. quickly. No, not oh, the FIA. The street circuits again. I, it love, cra- it I cra- love complaining about the FIA. Yeah, though. it cracks me up whenever I see these street circuits in Formula One. And Miami was a little bit better than some of the other ones. But I always think to myself, like, where are the spectators? Like, yeah, like there's nowhere to watch other than Grandson. I And I've never been to a Formula One race, so I don't know how they do it exactly. But it seems like they really try to get you to do the grandstand stuff. I don't know how much general well, access there is. <laughs> the, the thing you got to remember, too, is especially for the grandstands, right, on the main straight, your main straight is close to a mile approximately yeah that is a lot of tickets sold all the way down that that main straight oh yeah so you don't need to all of a sudden tuck people in turn seven 
whatever you name the track i don't give yeah you know it doesn't matter what it is but like when you're selling that many tickets down the main straight which is what everybody's really signing up for it it does make sense that you don't see fans throughout the rest of the track but that's what makes tracks like laguna awesome is because you actually can watch it from you can get to most of the track not all of it but most of the track yeah well and and that's something that makes indie like the indie grand prix that's yeah. what makes that so special. It make, that's yeah, it was what cool makes, to see people in the infield as well there. Yep, Daytona's the same way. Like, the, the the circuits that are built into, like, your rovals, if you will, that, like, those are, they're fun in the sense that you do have fans typically all the way around them. Yeah. So, going back to the first turn. Yes. Where we, I believe, the two cars that locked up predominantly were the two Porsches. Well, one Porsche decided to lock up like 130 yards away from the end of the the, the turn. Yeah, like j- that was one of the largest lockups I've ever seen in in proper racing. Yeah, huge lockup. Um, it's a it's a it's amazing they all got through there. When I saw I that lockup, believe it. Yeah, yeah, I saw that lockup and was like, oh man, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> here we go. No one locks up that badly and doesn't have an accident yeah. except for that guy. Yeah. I mean, I they got through it. I didn't. I don't remember which Porsche it was offhand that did it. So I'm I'm calling him that guy for, yeah, for the second podcast, but um, no, I, I like they got through the first corner. Everything was good. Racing was clean. Outside of that, um, it it just like Laguna Seca provides so much of a just it's constant roll action. of the dice, if you will, when it comes to every single corner. Like you just hope to God you end up with the number that you chose. When you roll the dice, you're like, okay, give me a six. Oh, we got it. Okay, we're through the next corner. All right, give me a five. Oh, okay, we're good. <laughs> it's just, it, it's, it really is. And the thing is, like, one of the things that goes underrated, and I, like, I've heard broadcast talk about it before. I didn't, I don't, I didn't notice it in this one, but that doesn't mean they didn't say it. Was if the wind picks up at all, that's all sand out there. So now all of a sudden, your track is getting real slick really quickly, like really quickly. Yeah. And that complete, like, that surface can change so fast out there, and those cars can go through so much. Uh, like it could be such a dynamic surface for them to have to deal with. It's just, it, it really, it provides this awesome layout. But yeah, I mean, the racing, I thought the racing overall was good. Uh, the good news is that, uh, an Oracle did end up winning LMP2. Um, and then... Is there any possibility of another manufacturer winning LMP2? No, that's my point. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I breeze past it yeah. very quickly. Good job, Orca. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... No, I mean, like, I, I I thought overall classes were pretty good. Uh, Porsche looked really good in the GTD, and then Mercedes ends up, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute, Mercedes is winning this race. Like, what the hell's happening? So, yeah, yeah. it was it was, it was was a good race overall. I thought, I like, I didn't... I didn't I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that Porsche didn't get the win. I was kind of rooting overall. for him. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it goes to Cadillac, which I think is still pretty cool. Rick Van Dysander had a fantastic race. Redemption after Spa. Yeah. He had a big shunt at Spa. Yeah, he said he was still hurting from it. I bet that that was a big one. Yeah, yeah, that was. I but it's nice. Like that's that is one of the nice things with endurance racing in particular. Is I even as much of a Porsche fan as I am, I obviously want Porsche to win. But I have grown to to like so many of these drivers over the years because there's you know your manufacturer is constantly fluctuating in and out, so you don't you can't really grow attached to to just those drivers so it's like oh i kind of like that guy like pippo durani i always tend to root for he's just fascinating really good driver 
So anytime Rangavan is in or ends up winning, it's like, I, he's a great driver. Like, yeah, I'm good with this. I'll take it. Yeah. I think you see a lot of drivers stick with, uh, well, I guess that's true of a lot of disciplines, but the guys who are in sports car racing tend to stay in sports car racing. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's true of Indy and F1 as well. Well, one, once they get there, that's the thing is like you, you have a lot of, you don't have very many ex-WEC or ex-IMSA drivers in other series. You have many ex-IndyCar or ex-Formula 1 yeah, drivers yeah. in it. Yeah, maybe that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. It's like the dudes who are in IMSA, they're not like, oh, I'm really hoping to break into Indy or Formula 1 or something. It's like, no, they're in sports cars. Yep. That's what they do. Yep. And, and it doesn't seem to matter which class it's in either. You know, a lot of you get you get some former Formula One or Formula IndyCar drivers in in these GTD cars, and they're just as happy. Yeah, I I think there's just something about sports car racing that's just awesome, and I'm saying that also just you know sports car racing is my favorite kind of racing. Yeah, but like because I was watching Formula One and then I switched to the IMSA race, and I was like, okay, yes, now I feel at home. Mm-hmm. This is my jam. This is awesome, you know, and the cars, they're battling more. It's just more interesting. I'm more into the manufacturers, the teams. I don't know well, what it is. And I, I think for the drivers, I mean, I, I don't, I've never asked any of them, but I would imagine that at the end of the day, you any sport you play, the more you can play the sport, the more you're going to enjoy it. Well, you're going to get a lot more seat time in a race, in an endurance race than you are in an F1 car. Yeah. So, well, at least in racing. Like, F1 cars, they may do more laps. They may actually have more seat time than WEC. I have no idea. But In the race, like under the, racing the, Yeah, under yeah. racing conditions, when you're doing 24 hours at Le Mans, that's a lot of racing for even split between four drivers. You're looking at a, a whole hell of a lot of laps. So it does make sense that these guys are like, look, I could just crunch laps in this thing, and that's really all I want to do. Yeah, I also think that sports car racing also has, if you could say this, more majors. Like in golf, you have majors, you know, where it's uh, like the Masters or something, whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, you have the 12 hours of Sebring, 24 hours of Daytona, uh, 24 hours of Spa, 24 hours of Nürburgring, Le Mans. You know, you have these really iconic races. Every event is a significant event for the most part. Exactly. And then, because like, pretty much, if it says six hours, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like this Laguna race, it's just part of the championship, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, Sebring, Daytona, um, and I guess for IMSA, those are the main ones. Long Beach, maybe a little bit, but not. It's not a full-on. Long, Long Beach race. is important because it's Long Beach, but not because it's a like a significant event. It's just kind of yeah. like we. This is an iconic track. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Formula One, it's like they have Monaco, IndyCar has Indy, but they're that's that's sort of the crown jewel of those series whereas in endurance racing there's just there's more events like that i think yeah so i think that's part of it but also just the cars can just race it just feels like they can race more yeah yeah they're freed up it it what it, it like almost... you don't hear people talk about aero wash or all that kind of crap it's just like they're out there racing they're bumping into each other you know and it's just Full yeah, on. And, and I feel like, especially in IMSA, and maybe it's because it is the actual American version of endurance racing, but also in WEC, you get that kind of American feel where the behind the pit wall is nowhere near as involved in the race. 
as what's actually happening on track. The, mm-hmm. it, it feels more like the pit wall is adjusting to what's going on on track rather than the pit wall creating what's going on on track. Interesting. What do you mean by that? So I think in F1, more than anything, the pit wall, but what's behind the what's behind the screens in uh, it, like your whole crew, right? They're creating your race. You're still racing, and there are still moves that somebody like Max Verstappen has to make, but it's not the same as when you're in IndyCar is a little bit like IndyCar is kind of let's toss out IndyCar just for the sake of this discussion because it is it sits in this mushy middle of of this but on the other end of the spectrum you have almost NASCAR where the pit crew is involved but really what they're doing is adjusting to what's happening on track what's happening with the driver the way the driver's going about his business everything that he does is having an effect on the team and then the team has to adjust to it where I feel as though F1, the driver has to adjust to what the team's decisions are. And I think in endurance racing, regardless of whether it's WEC or IMSA, you see more of the driver having to drive the car and the team having to adjust than the other way around. And I think IMSA does a better job of making, you know, allowing the driver to just keep driving than the WEC. But it's, I, I just, I feel like it's, it's more of a race, if you will, rather than a strategy. Huh. It's an interesting way to put it. I, because it, it, it's, and that isn't to diminish that it's, a, it, it's immense strategy to get around a track for 24 hours or whatever, you know, like 12, yeah. 12 hours, 24 hours, six but hours. But it's not the it, right? same level of, pers- I don't want to say precision, like, I get what you're saying. It's hard to explain. It is because you have multiple endurance races that can end on the same lap within seconds of each other. So precision is incredibly important. Yeah, and they've they've got to manage multiple fuel stops, tire, dig, every, all that stuff. Yeah. But it doesn't seem as big brother as F1 does. It doesn't seem as formulaic. Yeah, exactly. Like in Formula 1, even... No pun intended. There's a formula to winning the race. Yeah, and like when I reference like, oh, it's not his big brother. It's like in Formula One, it feels like okay, Max is racing, but like the pit crew or the pit wall, you know, the guys behind the screens with all the data and everything. Sometimes it seems like it's like, hey, this is what you're doing. We already have this planned out. We have every scenario planned out, you know, and it's all just like on this lap. It's almost like they know what's going to happen on each lap. You know, the only Mm -hmm. thing. The only real variables in an F1 race are cautions. Yeah. You know, if they didn't have those variables, I, you know, because they have everything down to such a science, they could probably predict most of the things that would happen in the race. This you know is, what I this mean? Is, this is why when we talked a couple of weeks ago, why I would love to see fuel stops back in F1. But they would do the same thing. They, they would have it down exact. They would, but the thing is it adds an additional variable that if Red Bull gets a fuel stop outside of what Ferrari believes Red Bull is going to take a fuel stop in. Yeah. Then it's, then it's like, well, what about that? What, what's going on? Like, that's not in our, we don't have the math for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I, I, I think they could do fuel stops in F1. I mean, Indy manages just fine. So I, I haven't watched anybody on fire in, in Indy in a while. So yeah. I think, I do think, think it's funny, funny, uh, funny when you see guys. I, I uh, think find a cunny is pretty good <laughs> as well. <laughs> I was gonna say, guys, uh, spraying the uh, the fuel uh, outlet or the yeah uh, fuel uh, filler every time they leave the yeah. pit lane. Yeah, just yeah, psh. yeah. Psh. good. You're good. 
Yeah. <laughs> no fire. <laughs> I I don't know. It's, I mean, it's just a different. They don't culture. miss. To be fair. Yeah, it's that, and like even when they're pulling the pick, uh, the the wheel gun away. Yeah. I saw. I don't remember who it was, but they almost ran over the wheel gun. And I thought to myself, I was like, how? It's it's crazy to me that this is America's top level of racing. Like you know, in Formula One, their solution is to have this like 15 guys out there in like this whole gantry system with the air guns and lights and all this stuff. Yeah. And in IndyCar, it's just like, Hey, give me the gun. And he throws it back to the pit. Wall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, but there's also a very big difference between a 2.2 second pit stop to change all four and yeah. whatever the hell Indy decides to run at yeah. any given scenario. But it, the one thing I have always just wondered, I, how long do those impact guns last? Because they go flying, dude. Like, yeah, they launch those things across. Like, there is no shot at the end of the race that that those are in good condition. They are not built for that. I don't care. I bet they are built for that. I'm willing to bet. Come on, man. Like that's. I think it could be done. I think you could make something like that last if it was designed right. Like literally to have like I, I, I shock have, absorbing. I have a pieces. feeling there's a pretty good direct correlation between the amount of wheel nut issues that IndyCar has <laughs> and the way they treat their impact guns. <laughs> I don't I, have any data behind it. Oh, I was gonna but, use that as an example why that they're probably fine because I was gonna say they wouldn't throw them around if it would damage them because like. Why would you jeopardize your but next pit stop? when was the last stop? time you heard of a wheel nut issue in F1? And I feel like it's every couple of races. Oh, well, that wheel nut didn't seat well. It's like, maybe because the gun went flying two <laughs> laps ago. What the, like, what are we doing here? I, I suppose that's a possibility, but, you know. <laughs> I, I don't think they're going to have the Formula One style uh, gantries anytime soon. I mean, in, uh, it's, it's, it's not like, okay, we got to get Verstappen a new wing. All right, toss it over the pit wall. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> There's no... Yeah, fair enough. It's, it's, bu- it's built to go around the track. It might as well make it over the pit wall. Yeah. Well, speaking of Indy, let's uh, transition over to Indy. Yes. Um, uh, all I have to say about uh, the rest of the IMSA race is uh, GTP is awesome. Sports car racing is awesome. And uh, I'm excited to watch the rest of the season. Finally. Yes. The top class of IMSA is really, really good. Like, really good. Yeah. Like, I, I really I actually want to watch. Yeah. Please <laughs> don't change anything. And also, WEC, take notes. Yes. Uh, so now we have Indy. So so IMSA, take notes. Yes. Because holy God, was that a good race. You know, yeah, it was okay. Um, the ending wasn't as dramatic as anyone would have hoped for. Spoiler: Alex below one, yeah, by like eleven seconds. You know, and on that note, I do have to concede a little bit that I uh, previously I've been pretty harsh about uh, spec series like Indy. Yeah, but I have to admit, every single race there is a different sort of top five group. Yeah, every time. Yep. And, like, I always look for, like, the person who did well last race, and I'm like, oh, wow, why are they down in 10th? What, what you do see is that the best drivers, whatever that year is, are typically within that five somewhere. Yeah. Hiding in there, right? Like, Grosjean's been really good this year. Mm-hmm. Pedro Ward has been really good this year. Yeah. Scott Dixon, always really good. Yeah. Those, those guys, like, Rossi had some bad luck early on, but he finished eighth last race, finished third this race. Yeah. It, all of a sudden, you're starting to see like the top guys kind of filter into those positions. But yeah, it's. But I, I just have to concede that okay, maybe there's something there, dude. It, I don't like it still. 
But if you're into like driver versus driver type a deal, then okay, okay, there's something there. I I don't like what I'm about to say because I am such a big fan of F1, but IndyCar's been better than Formula One this year by a lot. I think so too. It's um, like, F- but do you think that's because of the dominance of the Red Bulls? No. Or do you think just in general, just no, up? just overall the racing's been better. I mean, that's the thing is, like, every facet of of the race has been intriguing in some way, shape, or form. Like, they spend a lot of time on IndyCar, like, the broadcast. So, they'll spend a lot of time on the lead car. But in reality, there is, like, lead changes happening all, or not lead changes, position changes happening all over the place in the backfield that Formula One would be going nuts to try and follow because there's nothing happening at the front. But there's still so much action at the front plus action at the back. And it's it's like, yeah, okay, there's not this unique engineering development that you might see in Formula One where this is the pinnacle of auto racing. Fine, we get that. But IndyCar right now, is giving us the best racing week in and week out in every way, shape, and form. I mean, Alex Below won by something like 11 seconds this... Excuse me. Won by something like 11 seconds this past week. And that was probably the biggest margin this year. I don't know the actual math behind it, but this was the one race that felt like, okay, it got put away. Yeah. And even then, everything else that was happening behind it was straight chaos and alex <laughs> Pelot didn't put the race away until like lap what uh, there, i don't remember how many laps there were 85 65 somewhere in there i think it was 85 because i yeah i think it was 85 so Pelot didn't put the race away until like 70 yeah i mean it, uh, it you know we're we're talking about good two-thirds to three-quarters of the race where we still went who the hell knows what can happen we're yeah. spending two thirds or three quarters of the F one race on any given weekend going, all right, we know what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like in Formula One, you know, even before the race starts, you can just watch qualifying, you go, Okay, I don't think the midfield is gonna make up a full second a lap, you know, or whatever yeah. it ends up being. You know, whereas IndyCar, you're just like I, I literally every time I tune in, I'm like I feel like I'm in Formula One you get the storyline of the season. You go, okay, the Red Bulls are fast. The Aston Martins are mixing it up, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ferrari is there sometimes, and sometimes they're nowhere. And then in IndyCar, you're like, okay, all right, so that guy's fast. That uh, Oh, what happened to that? Oh, somebody else. Okay, this guy's doing well. And then the next race, you're like, okay, another group of guys is, okay, yeah. I just don't. I'm just going to tune into each right. race individually now. Yeah. Well, and, and, to, and to be fair for IndyCar, too, is like it, it, it is 100% spec racing. Like at, at the end of the day, it's, it is it is not Chevrolet versus Honda. It, they're all Delara chassis. It's yeah. like. But that's the, good the, if you want driver versus driver. Exactly. That was my. That's and I, I do going, think yeah. the teams matter, but the teams, you know, Penske, Andretti, they're all good. It's not like. Uh, they're going to have more money to develop on the arrow and stuff like that, yes. But course. they don't even have to develop the arrow. I mean, it's more just in probably in the setup of the car. And having the experience of certain team members, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm sure that matters. And you know, like actual behind the scene, behind the scenes stuff, like logistics, planning. Well, all that I mean, I just take for example what we were talking about earlier. If, if you got somebody like Fernando Alonso handing you a binder of notes, yeah, exactly. And then it, on the alternative, if you're a smaller team and you got two rookies 
that have no idea what the hell note race notes are, and they're going, all right, what kind of feedback can we get from the from you? It feels loose out of this corner. It's like, well, what the hell are we gonna do with that information? Yeah. You know, like, so there's there's something to be said about being able to pay your way still to a victory in in some sense. But yeah, I like overall, I they're just it's a better product right now. I don't want to. I certainly don't want to sit back and say that Formula One is wrong in what they're doing. I love the that they're trying to produce this immense, unique uh, engineering feat, right? Like year in and year out, they're just doing something that no one else can do. We're not diminishing what F1 is able to do as far as the technological development is concerned, but as far as the racing is concerned... IndyCar's killing it right yeah. now. I, like it's it's just so good. It's every week. It, there's just so much chaos happening. Part of it too is the track. Like we we sat back. We said Miami's a crap track, right? Yeah. If you put IndyCar's, well, if you I, put F1 on Indy GP and then you put Indy on Miami, I still think we're sitting back saying, all right, the race was better at F1 because I, I Indy you mean the F1 race at Indy is better than the IndyCar race at. Miami. Yes. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. But I, I was going to say that, do you think if you did put those Indy cars on Miami, do you think it'd be a good race? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mm. mean, I, but they, they have a lot more experience driving on real small American street circuits, if yeah. you will. You know, like, so, and, and they're slower too. I mean, that's the thing is it, slower you know, we, makes a big difference, by the way. It does. It does. It makes it in terms of like what you see, because a one second gap is not as big as a one second gap also, on a faster car. Right. It also makes a massive difference in the actual racing because you're not, you know, it's something we talked about before uh, when we were talking, we were talking about some of the accidents that occurred a couple of weeks ago that the you know, the move happens before the corner. So if you're not paying very close attention to Formula One and you're not actually following each individual battle to go, okay, he's going to make a move here. Okay, no, that guy made that move. No, now he can't move there. It's it's much more of a chess match, which is great. It's this awesome strategy that goes around the track between the drivers. But you can't necessarily follow that on television. So even though the the move may have been set up three, four, five corners ago in Formula One, all you see is the, oh, he made the pass. Yeah, you just see the DRS It's like, yeah, it's, exactly. And that's that's the point I was going to make, is that people, a lot of people go, well, it's just, it's DRS passing. It's like, look, you missed the 14 corners he made, uh, the 14 moves he made in each corner prior to that in order to put himself in position to actually have a DRS move. Yeah. But there's no way for Formula One to actually properly market that on television. You just can't. That's not a thing. So for IndyCar, all of a sudden go, let's just watch them battle for like three or four laps because they're all relatively equal. It's totally understandable and going, okay, this is this is good racing. Like, this is fun to watch. I, I kind of like the fact that we have, uh, right now at least, we have IndyCar and we have Formula One because it's like, okay, fine. You know, if you want your spec racing, close racing, I don't know who's going to win. IndyCar's there. Yeah. And then if you want to watch Formula One, it's there. You know, we have some variety. It's a great dichotomy. Yeah, exactly. And I, I though I do think it would be cool uh, if the IndyCars could get up to the pace of F1 or surpass it, I, I would give that two thumbs up. I would like to see that. Even if it was still spec per, racing. Per lap? Yeah. I don't know how you do that. I think you could do it easily. 
because Formula One, like, they're fast, but they're still, you know, the rules peg them back every year. And I think we absolutely have the technology that if you set out with the intent of... But you can't... Here's the thing is, like... Delara could easily create a car that that is as fast as an F1 car. You really think so? Yes. Oh, without a doubt. You're not... So... What do you, you need? What are the ingredients? Over well, here, over a here, thousand okay, horsepower. Okay, so here's my thinking. Hang on. Like, okay. But before we before we go on that. Yep. Here's my thinking. Formula One are engineering wise the single most developed series in the world. Yes. WEC could throw their hat in to say, look, our prototypes are pretty close. Probably not though. You used to be. Used to be. Yeah. Less so now. Yeah. So. What they're doing engineering wise is something that. I'm not sure there are very many people on the planet that can do. And for us to simply say that, okay, Delara can develop a chassis that can do what Formula One is doing now just because strikes me as a difficult proposition. I could, I, I can far more readily believe that if you were to say, all right, IndyCar, we're going to give you... Because the, the F1 cars are limited to around 1,000 horsepower, right? Isn't that where they're... Uh, they're they're around 1,000 horsepower So right if all of a sudden you say, IndyCar, you're lighter and you are you got more power. Might be a little wobbly, but you guys are really good drivers. We'll, we'll make this work, right? If they, if they were looser but faster, then I can see, okay, that's, that's the a, approach that we're attacking... But I don't. I can't come up with any way in my brain that IndyCar can out-engineer a Formula One car to go around a track faster. Oh, easily, easily. I understand there's a lot of restrictions in Formula One. I, I think that's the main reason is that they have so many regulations. Essentially, the speed of Formula One cars has plateaued. I want to say since the '90s, the technology has gotten better, and they've they've essentially been at the same level with less as they have in the past with more. And so... Well, you can look at lap records. That's been the biggest, the most yeah, obvious. Yeah, and they're, they're fast. They're probably the fastest they've been now. Yeah, of course. Um, with the wide tires and the extra but arrow. So, but somehow they're only like a half a second at best faster. Yeah. So... Per lap. I would say the recipe is 1,000 horsepower and then a bunch of arrow. And as long as it was drivable enough, it probably might not be as good as an F1 car. You know, because they're just so freaking expensive yeah. to build. Well, that's kind of what I'm getting at is, so what? what's our, we're talking now about, okay. Yeah, you don't want to wreck one of these things and it like what's, totally bankrupts your team. Right, what's the cost? What are we doing here? That like, I don't know. I guess it depends how you do it, because like. I, lo- I like where you're headed in that uh, we would like hor- to see IndyCar get faster. Yeah, let's say right off the bat, the horsepower is not a problem. No, no, not Like at all. we could no. easily, or they could easily make. A thousand horsepower, well, and, whatever, and, and let's let's or fifteen hundred horsepower, and it'd be reliable and compact. Hundred percent. And here's the thing: it's like there, there's nothing stopping IndyCar from going to V8s. Yeah, exactly. That's that's all. A V8 that was like three liters or more, done easily over a thousand horsepower. Yeah. Um, then from there, it's the aero and suspension. Now, I don't know if the suspension layout they use now would be good enough for that. I think it would it'd probably be fine. And so I think the hardest part would be getting the arrow, but I think it's more of a how you do it. Because if they wanted to, you know, like you could just have huge uh, uh, 
essentially underbody aero. It does, which is it what does Formula come, One kind of tried to do. It does come down to the restrictions, though, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, it's like if if all B- of a sudden IndyCar, if IndyCar is saying you guys can do anything you want, but even even if Delara made or, it, uh, yeah. I'm, well, that, that's sort of what I'm getting at is like if IndyCar says to Delara, you guys do anything you want. We yeah. just want this thing to be faster than F1. Yeah, and Delara's like, okay. If you were in charge of Indy, wouldn't you want that? Hundred percent. Right, I'm kind of surprised they haven't done it. The only reason I think they haven't is because if you did that and then you ran at Indy, you'd be doing 300 miles an hour. Well, and here's the problem: you have one death. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. What's it's that just, PR worth? Yeah, exactly. Because unless unless you detune them for Indy, which would be a pain. I, you know, the way you probably do it for Indy is you don't detune them necessarily. And I, I, this may make, make him it, make him run him high, uh, the high downforce kit. No, I would go the opposite. Yeah, I don't know if this necessarily makes him more dangerous, and if it does, don't do it. But what I'm getting at is like, instead of saying it, it's kind of the old logic of oh well, people wear seatbelts now, so they drive more recklessly. Mm. So if all of a sudden the car is really loose, by meaning you got no arrow now, you are just a streamlined like tube with some wheels. Like a cylinder with wheels, the way the way it used to be, right? <laughs> yeah, I I think it'd be more dangerous, and I say that because drivers don't care uh, in the moment. Like probably not. Yeah, when they're, they're racing, they're racing. They don't care yeah, about that kind of stuff. I and, understand. Yeah, yeah. I I don't. But that might be the way to s- slow down Indy. Yeah, because I either that or you just do whatever you have to do to make their top speeds similar to what they are now, and so maybe. Yeah. You leave the, it may be a combination of yeah, many things. Leave the engines the same, but give them enough arrow so that the drag is sufficient that the top speed is still 240 or would, whatever they do. Would now. us traditionalist racing fans, though, not say, like, this is stupid? Uh, this is so artificial. I don't know. I think it's uh, because... not. I'm, I'm saying for the races where they get restricted, not for the races where it's a little more unlimited. What you're, what you're getting at is you want... You want Indy to be more unlimited, but be more unlimited in spec. Yes. Yeah, and I don't see why you couldn't do that. I feel like it's totally doable. It is totally doable. And and to be honest, you know, depending on cost. I mean, we we don't have any idea what the cost is yeah. with all this. And also, I don't I don't know how people would really feel. Like, do you think it would matter if like how big a difference is two hundred and forty miles an hour in hitting a wall versus three hundred miles an hour? I have in hitting no a wall? idea. Is that I a have, big difference? I, I feel is it like not it would a big hurt difference? either way. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's. Def- I think it would be cool to see him doing like three hundred in a wall. Come on, no, David. no, no, Jesus, no, Jesus Christ! <laughs> but you know, we should be setting records at Indy. You know, at this period of time, and I'd like to see that. I'd like to see them pushing the boundaries further. For example, than like we have road cars. Uh, I now. totally get what you're saying, and I I, I agree. I with don't it. think and the tires would last. It's at the, no, it, it, but I think it's the same thing with F1. You know, we've been saying for years that we would like to see them push boundaries and, and really try and develop something that is truly faster and faster and faster in and modern, faster again in a modern way. But the problem, the problem is, is like it, it, it comes down to a cultural issue for right or for wrong, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, this push for safety has is entirely the reason the vehicles have slowed down. The fact that we have stagnated in speed while increasing safety is really the engineering miracle. That's absolutely true, yeah. and, and and it's whether you agree with it or not. It's not for me to decide. Everybody's going to have their own opinion on it, but at the end of the day, this that is what is stopping these vehicles 
from going absurd speeds because there's no way for them to do so safely. And none of these series can take the PR hit of a death. I mean, look at what happened with Formula One. It was an absolute fluke death. Yeah, with Jules. For Jules Bianchi. Yeah. And look at how hard they took that. That like that hit the series like no other. Yeah, I, but and that was a bonkers BS death. Like Jules should have never yeah, died. Was, yeah. Nothing like the a tractor was on the course to remove a car in a monsoon. Like what are we doing here? Yeah, and somehow F one gets in trouble for it. It you know like they just can't take that heat, and it's the same thing. I I guarantee you, it's the same thing for IndyCar. They cannot take that heat of another major driver like god forbid scott dixon hits a wall at indy 500 and dies there's enough deaths at indy 500 but that's what i'm saying is like 240 I mean, Weldon also... died a couple of years ago and that exactly. was immense like whoa wait a minute what yeah. are we doing here like 240 is already really quick stupid fast yeah. man like but that's what i'm saying is i to go back circle back around i think you might have to limit them. Maybe they can go a little faster. Maybe we'll do 250, you know, but I do think you couldn't have them doing 300. Where do you want them faster, though? Do you want them faster on the over, or do you want them faster on the road course? Road course, primarily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I I just want it to be that So I don't think that's a difficult task. For, course, I don't think that's a difficult task for IndyCar at all because you already have a separate arrow. Yeah, that's what You I'm have saying. an entirely different arrow package that you run on the ovals than you do on on the road courses. So if you're on the road courses, you just simply say, yeah, there's a road course kit. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. You guys are really fast around this. Yeah. It's it's totally doable. And I agree with you. If you're, if you're running IndyCar, you should be sitting back saying, look, we want to be faster than F1. We yep. want to pull in the drivers. Like, we want Alonso to come over for the Indy 500 and then to not leave. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. And, and... I'd, it'd be interesting to see what would happen to Formula One if that was the case, because I wonder if they would have they to change their regula- regulations. They themselves. Yeah. They would end up, it'd be like tit for tat. Let me put it this way. Series. They would not still be in V6 turbos. <laughs> see, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Makes Formula One better. Indy's better. Everything's better. Well, I, 100%. I agree with you. Yeah. The, the solution is more power and more downforce. Always. I mean, the real solution for F1 is is less regulations, but... Yeah, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. No, because it's run by Europeans, <laughs> and they love regulations. Again, though, you, you would think the Americans would be like, why are we not the fastest cars on Earth right now? You why is think, that, yeah. You know, that should be the case. We should be the fastest series. Yeah. but I, I have some theories that I'm not willing to share. Okay. On here. Okay. All right. We'll have to chat about that uh, then. Uh, off, off podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, uh, is there anything else you do want to talk about on the podcast before we shut it down? No, not that I could think of. I just, again, I I want to reiterate to everybody that IndyCar is doing it right this year and that F1 is not. And yeah. it's weird to say that because even in these years where F1 has been really down and IndyCar has actually been pretty good, I'm still sitting back on, no, F1 is still better. This year... Indy's killing it, man. Yeah. Like, they have got it figured out. It looks good. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this podcast. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, got it. <laughs> Nailed it. 
Uh, hope to see you next time. And uh, if you want to follow us, it's Motorsports in Focus on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And other than that, you can visit uh, motorsportsinfocus.com to see the latest articles and everything there. And also this podcast. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.